morning. Y'all would please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses uh, 12 through 23 today. As you're turning there, have you ever had, have you ever expected one thing and then got something different? Isn't that just the worst? Like you go to take a sip of a drink and you think it's going to be Coke and it's sweet tea. You don't mind the sweet tea, but it is the worst thing in that moment. Oh, oh. There was one time that I I ordered sweet tea at a restaurant, and I took just a big gulp. Turns out they mixed up the salt and the sugar. That was a terrible experience. Another time I ordered a book, it I thought it was a sequel to the Jurassic Park book, which I I love dinosaurs, so I was super excited about it. Turns out it was a Western. Had nothing to do with Jurassic Park. These things that they, we think we're getting one thing, and then we end up getting something different. There was actually a waitress who sued the company she worked for because they promised her she won some prize, and it was she won a Toyota. She was thinking a car. Turns out what she actually won was a toy Yoda figurine. She sued her company for that. It's frustrating when you think that you're going to get one thing, but then you end up getting something completely different. Being promised one thing, but being given another, it's disappointing and it's wrong. Well, in Mark chapter 11, we see how Jesus feels about this when he is when something is displayed as one thing, yet it delivers something different. Beginning in verse 12, Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he, then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you curse has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. 
But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the promises that we see in Scripture, the goodness that we see. Lord, for your love for righteousness. God, I pray that we would be known, us as the church, we would be known as a house of prayer, that this building would be known as a house of prayer. God, I pray that we would honor and glorify you in all that we do. God, give me the words to say. Give us the ears to hear and eyes to see your goodness and the hearts to open to receive your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the first time I read this, I remember thinking, well, Jesus has some anger issues. This fig tree doesn't produce fruit, and he just curses it. But you see, what he's doing here is what a lot of times the Gospels will do, where it shows the, the metaphor and then the reality. The metaphor here is the fig tree. The fig tree that looks like it's producing fruit. It says that it, it's, uh, it, it has leaves, but it doesn't actually have any fruit. And then the reality is the temple. The temple, which is supposed to be the place of prayer. The temple, which is supposed to be the house of God, yet it's being used to manipulate people, to take advantage of people. That is the reality. So Jesus is walking on this road. He's walking out from Bethany. And he sees this fig tree and it says, uh, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. Well, when it's having leaves and blossoming, you think it's got to have fruit. So Jesus goes up and reaches for the fruit, and there is none. And so he curses it. There is promised fruit. It gave the appearance of bearing fruit, but it had no real fruit, no real substance. The issue isn't that it had no fruit. The issue is that it was appearing like it did. The issue is that it was appearing as if it had fruit. And so let me ask you, do you in your life appear to bear the fruit of God? When you're around people, do you put on a face as though you are living for God, but you have no real substance within you? Do you put up a front acting as though you are close to God, acting as though you are in a right relationship with God, when in reality, there's no fruit. Scripture has not been a part of your life, and prayer has not been a part of your life. I think we all go through times like this. We all go through times where we know what we should be doing. We know what we need to be doing. We know that we need to be spending time in the Word, spending time studying God's Word, spending time with God, praying, calling out to God. But instead, we just miss a day here and there. And a day here and there becomes a week here and there. 
Soon enough, it's been a month, and your Bible is still in that same place on its shelf. But you come to church and act as though everything is fine. In the car, you're yelling at your family, and then you step out and put on these bright, smiling faces. These things happen. But Jesus does not want fake devotion. Jesus doesn't want just smiling faces of people who are inwardly rotting and decaying. Jesus doesn't want just smiling faces for people who have no relationship with him. We need to be honest with God about where we're at. In the Psalms, in Psalm 51, verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God doesn't want prideful people. God doesn't want people who have everything together. And can I be honest with you? Look around you. That's people that don't have it together. That's people who are struggling. Look up here. That's someone who does not have it all together. We all struggle. We all wrestle with these things. We all deal with life. Don't just act as though everything is perfectly fine. And you'll have days that are good. You'll have days when things are going well. That's not bad. But don't lie about it. Don't lie to God. Don't act as though you're bearing this fruit and then really there's nothing there. There's nothing in your life that is glorifying to God. In fact, Isaiah chapter 1 it, it speaks a much more uh, harsh tone. It speaks of people that were bringing sacrifices to God, bringing these, these sacrifices, doing all the right things, the right rituals, but they had no love for God and they had no love for people. And God actually says that those things are a burden to him because there is no love for the other people in those people's hearts. That is the reality of these, these, this fake face that we put on. When we bring sacrifices to God, when we, when we put up a front in church, when we act as though everything is perfectly fine, there's no love for God, no love for other people. God does not want that. You know what God does want? God wants you to be honest. Even if that means coming to God in prayer and saying, God, I am out of, out of my league. I am in over my head. I need you, God. I have messed up. God will not turn you away. God will not reject that prayer. When we acknowledge our shortcomings before him, he will not reject that. But when we put up a front, when we act as though we're one way, when really where there is no love for God, there is no love for others, that's when, well, that's when Jesus says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And Jesus cursed the fig tree. That is the picture of what happens. And then we see this on a broader scale. That was 
the fig tree, which we can learn lessons from that. But then there's the temple. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold the te- in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. So we have the metaphor with the fig tree, and then we have the reality, which is that the temple, the temple of God, where God's Holy Spirit lived, where the people came to bring their sacrifices, where the people came to give their prayers, where they went to the priests to pray on their behalf, that was being used to take advantage of people. That was being used to make a quick buck. That was not what God intended it to be. The temple was supposed to be a place for people to go to pray, offer sacrifices, and truly connect with God. But, what do we love to do? Make a business. Make some money. If you can make some money, we're going to do it. That's how we are. Sadly, this did not end with the temple being destroyed. And around A.D. 70, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, but this did not end there. And it carries on today. You look throughout history, you'll see this. You look around at churches, and uh, even in different denominations, different religions. This same thing is happening all around the world. I've seen churches where the focus is not on preaching the gospel. The focus is not on reaching people with the gospel. The focus is how can we get more people to put money in the offering plate? How can we get more people just to listen so that then our pockets are lined? What a horrible way to use the gospel. To manipulate people. And that's what was happening. That's why Jesus cursed the fig tree. And that's why Jesus went through and ransacked the temple. Was because people were using God to manipulate others. Go back 500 years and look at Martin Luther. His issue was with the the Catholic Church taking advantage of people. Doing the exact same thing that's happening here. Charging people. Charging people for Christ. Charging people for the gospel. Look around today. There are churches doing this. And there's churches doing this not even for money, but for other means. This is not just a a large church thing. This is not a small church thing. This is just an issue that all churches must be wary of. We must regularly ask ourselves if we're on track. Are we intentionally spreading the gospel or spreading something else just to get people here? Again, this is not just a a big church thing or a small church thing. This is a, a question that we need to all be asking. Are we intentionally spreading the gospel? Are we keeping Christ at the center or is Christ just 
little piece of your life? Are we offering Christ as Savior and Lord? Or is Jesus just a little accessory? Just a little bit of a, a financial guru, just something to make your life a little bit better? Or is Jesus Lord? What is being taught? What are we believing? What are we telling other people? Are we pro primarily focused on uh, horizontal growth? On Wednesday, I talked about horizontal and vertical growth. Horizontal meaning the people around us, growing the congregation. There's nothing wrong with that. But when, we, when people become so focused on just getting more people in the church, rather than spreading the gospel, rather than bringing people to Christ, that is when there is an issue. It's not all about just getting as many people in here as we can. There are easy ways to do that. I've seen many people try and just get as many people as they can in the door. And what they do in order to do that, in order to succeed at that, is sacrifice the gospel. Preach something that people just want to hear. The Bible even says that they will make for themselves false teachers who just tickle their ears. Just something, something nice. Just say something good. Keep doing you. Just keep it up. Keep up whatever you're doing. But what Jesus calls us to is different. What Jesus calls us to is self-sacrificing. To follow him to lay down ourselves and follow after him, to love him and put him first. These people were not loving God and putting God first. They were putting their checkbooks first, their wallet first. Their bank account was first in their life. Jesus will not be second place in your life. Either he is first, or he is not there. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, are we regularly praying, fellowshipping, and studying God's word together? This passage is harsh. I understand that. But it's because this is important. It is important that the gospel not just be something off to the side. It's important that, that the gospel is not just a little part of church. It's important that it is the substance of the church, that it is the, what unifies us. You look on paper, and a lot of people in here have very few things in common with each other. I have very few things in common on paper with a lot of people in this church. But what we share, what we have in common, what, we, what ties us together is the gospel. The fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. The fact that Jesus took our place in death, and now that is what we live for. That is what ties us together. That is what keeps us together in the face of adversity, in the face of, of disagreements and struggles, that is what keeps us together. And that is what is to keep the church moving, 
It's the gospel. When that becomes just something on the sideline, what you end up with is not a church, but just a just a little community. Which that's good. But it doesn't do eternal good. What you end up with is a business. The gospel is not meant to be on the sidelines. The gospel is front and center. It should be front and center. That was the problem here. It was, it was very common for people to buy animals in Jerusalem in order to sacrifice them. That was a common practice because you had people traveling 100 miles on foot, in caravans, maybe on a donkey, but you didn't have... So it, it was tough to bring your animals there. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that they were selling things in the temple. They were trying to take advantage of the poorest of the poor, the weakest of the weak. They were taking advantage of people, not proclaiming God's word. In fact, going against God's word. That's why Jesus flipped the tables, drove people out, It's important what we teach, and it's important what we do. The gospel is important. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots, and Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. <clears throat> there are a lot of broken promises in this world. That one time I was promised uh, sweet tea and ended up getting salt tea. That was a broken promise. <laughs> the fig tree promised fruit. It was giving all the signs of fruit. Yet it did not deliver on those promises. The temple promised to be a house of prayer. Yet instead it was a den of thieves. So where can we turn? Well, here Jesus gives us an answer. Jesus will keep his promises. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to, to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask of when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Jesus will keep his promises. He will always keep his promises. Now, don't confuse this with meaning that Jesus will just give you whatever you want. If that were the case, I would have a lot more money in my bank account right now. But, Jesus will always give an answer. Either yes, no, wait. But whatever the answer is, Jesus will change you. So God may not give you everything that your heart desires, but what he will do is change the desires of your heart 
to be in line with what he will give. I love what, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said before they were cast in the fiery furnace. If you're familiar with the story, they, they were told to bow down and worship to this idol. And they said that they, they would not do it. They would only bow to God. And so then the king told them that they would be cast into this furnace that was so hot that even the people just working around the furnace were dying from the heat. And they said, our God can deliver us. Our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will not lose faith in him. The situations going on in your life, whatever you are dealing with, God can deliver you. Have faith that God will deliver you, and even if he doesn't, it does not mean that he is not at work. It does not mean that he is not working for your good. The Bible says that God works together all things for good for those called according to his name. All things. It doesn't mean that God is not working things for your good. It might just mean that God's understanding of good is different than ours. And his is better. Because he has the full picture. He knows what's going on all around us. God will work all things together for good. Even if we don't see how it's working together. I often say, I trust in God's plan. It just frustrates me that he doesn't tell me the plan. Sometimes that's how it feels. We know that God has a plan, but he doesn't always tell us exactly what that is. But we can put our confidence in God. He will keep his promises. God hasn't promised that he will move that mountain in your life. That he will throw that mountain into the sea. But what he has promised is that he will work it together for your good. You can take that to the bank. He hasn't promised that he will remove some sickness from your life. But what he has promised is that Jesus took your sin on the cross. You can count on that. He hasn't promised that we won't suffer in this life, but what he has promised is that he will be with us in suffering. And you can count on that. You see, everything else in this life will fail on their promises. In some way or another. Everything else in this life is tainted. It is flawed. Promises get broken every day. I have friends who have gotten married making a vow before their friends and family and God. And they have broken their promises to one another. But the promises that have never been broken are the promises from God that he will deliver you from evil. He will forgive you. He will give you peace. He will give you his spirit. God will always keep his promises. And what he has promised to us is that if we call out to his name, if we put our trust in his name, he will not put us to shame. That anyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. Saved from your sins. Saved from the death that we have brought on ourselves by our own actions. God will save us. So friends, are you being honest with God? And have you put your trust in something other than Him? Or have you put your trust in God alone? Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that in this world of broken promises, in this world of false hope, that you are a sure promise, that we can count on you. Lord, that you have given us your Son, you have given us your Holy Spirit, God, I, ask, I pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do. God, I pray that we would be marked by prayer, by our love for other people, not by our love for our own selves or for our, our wallets, our bank accounts, but for others. And most importantly, for you. God, I pray that we would all bear fruit and that when there are seasons of dryness, seasons when we are not bearing fruit, that we'd be honest with you. That we would be honest about where we are at. I ask this in your name. Amen.